0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Explain It To Me Like I'm a 10-year-old. Today, I am very lucky to have Spencer Thompson with me. He is the founder and CEO of Prelude, a revolutionary cybersecurity company. Spencer was our first guest on Explain It To Me Like I'm a 10-year-old. He talked about his entrepreneurial experience. And now we have him back to explain cybersecurity to me like I'm a 10-year-old. Hi, Spencer. How are you doing today?
1: Hi Charlie, I am great, and uh, I don't know why you had me back, but I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, you, you are great. So let's let's start the interview off. So the joke is, what is a hacker's favorite season?
1: Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know what's a hacker's favorite season.
0: Fishing season. <laughs>
1: That is a very good and very appropriate joke for the times we live in today, Charlie.
0: So uh, my first question for you today is, how did you get into cybersecurity? So I,
1: um, I have a very odd story into cybersecurity. Uh, you know, I've talked about this a little bit before. If you had said to me two years ago, you'd be running a cybersecurity company, I would have said, there's just no way. I have no formal background in cybersecurity, although we'll talk about that in a little bit. So my journey, I know people listened to the last one, some of them said, so I'm not gonna go into any detail, but I previously ran a career discovery company. And then the first version of the company that I run today, which like you said is called Prelude, was actually a training company. And that training company focused on taking people that had no background in IT or cybersecurity and helping them to become what are called um, tier one SOC analysts. We'll talk about that in a second as well. I'm sure, basically junior cybersecurity analysts um, in four to six months. And so the idea is like training from zero all the way to being job ready. And so by, you know, by doing that work, I got exposed to a bunch of what we would call, you know, what the industry calls like blue or defensive cybersecurity professionals. So like one of the distinctions we'll talk about today, I'm sure, is there's red or offensive cybersecurity specialists, and then there's blue or defensive specialists. So we tried to help train kind of blue defensive specialists. And um, so I got exposed to a number of companies and people in the industry and products and tools and just became really obsessed with the industry. And then when I uh, decided to pivot the company from being training, COVID happened, and it was really tough for a physical school, into what it is today. Um, we decided to kind of go down the rabbit hole and become a pure cybersecurity company. So I, you know, I guess one of the lessons for all this is, uh, you don't have to have any formal background and you just have to have kind of a deep passion obsession with solving problems. And so I came to this almost by accident.
0: So when did you know that you were going to pivot and really go into cybersecurity as a company?
1: So um, it was the middle of 2020. And I know that because we were planning on launching another classroom worth of students in April or May of 2020. So we couldn't because all the restrictions meant that you couldn't have 50 students in a classroom, right? That was a bad idea. It eventually got banned. And so we kept pushing out the start of our next class, you know, one, two, four, six months away. And I had actually met our now um, CTO at a very large kind of defense contractor research organization. And a lot of the work that he had been doing uh, was very, A, very interesting to me, but B, very relevant to what we were trying to do from a, a mission perspective around national security. And so we decided to join forces and really develop a lot of that technology over at Prelude. So Prelude really transformed from pure training, very physical to remote only, you know, sitting at home on, on computers. And building something that's kind of deeply technical and very cybersecurity focused. And so I would say, you know, we we formally made that transition probably summer of last year. And then we raised a little bit of money to do that uh, properly in September of last year.
0: So a lot of people really don't understand cybersecurity that well, even though it's yeah. so, so important. Yeah. So I want you to explain the concept of cybersecurity to me and how it works like I'm a 10-year-old?
1: It's a perfect question because one of the challenges of the industry is that people that work in this industry have a very difficult time explaining what it actually means for people that are not, you know, working in in security, which is almost everybody. And so it's very complicated, it's very full of jargon and it's very difficult to understand. I guess I, I think about this in a fairly simple way given that I didn't, you know, wasn't formally trained in this. We are all very used to physical security, right? Like your door is closed behind you for what reasons? People can't overhear or hear into kind of what you're talking about. Your front door has a lock on it. Why does it have a lock on it? So it keeps people out. They can't just open the door. You know, we buy alarm systems. Your car has, you know, automatically turns off when you walk away. Like we're used to the idea of security in general um, in our own personal lives. We're actually used to security in general from like, A government perspective or a national perspective. So the idea of having an army, having a military, having a Navy, um, having secret service members, having all these things that we're used to are all elements of physical security. How do you protect human beings from other human beings via the bodies that we kind of exist in? So this is a pretty well-established industry. What's happened is as more and more of our lives have moved online, at this point, you know, in some ways the preponderance of our lives have moved online, especially because of, of COVID, we don't have the same equivalency of physical security, but online. And so we have all of these avenues around personal data, around things like um intellectual property. if you're the CEO of a company, the you know the presentations that you develop, some secret secret sauce that you've developed, uh, we don't have the ability to protect against those things. And You know, trying to make this as simple as possible. The other really challenging part is that we have so many devices connected to the Internet. In security, those are called endpoints, which makes sense, right? It's kind of the end point that you can kind of hack something. So think about all the phones, all of the computers, all of the servers, all of the fridges, right? All of the devices in your house right now, in my house right now, that are connected in some way, shape, or form to the Internet. Those are all, This all represents some way for a person who has malicious intent, which we can spend more time on, who has an incentive to make those things not work or to expose those things. Um, they represent kind of areas of, of entry for those people. And so cybersecurity is really the digital manifestation of what we're used to in the physical world, but it's a lot more complicated. And I would argue it's a lot more devastating. Um, it's very easy in the security, in the cybersecurity world to affect a lot of people without a lot of manual work. And the last thing I'll say on that is for most of our lives, um, most of our parents' lives, many wars were fought physically, right? People would go and they would fight each other in the battlefields of World War I and World War II. And um, there's an argument that in today's world that won't actually happen. And not that it doesn't happen today. There's a, there, are, there are still wars, but the idea of affecting millions of people through you know working on a computer is a terrifying idea. And so there's this other part of cybersecurity that yes, it affects us personally, but cybersecurity also affects us, you know, nationally as well.
0: Yeah. So how do how do these cyber attacks work? Right? They can be so devastating, they can just cripple companies and people. But you know, just get into the nitty-gritty of that. Like what is actually going on?
1: So I guess the the way that an attack actually happens is it starts with a goal. And the goal says, what are we trying to accomplish with this attack? So let's take, there's been many attacks called ransomware attacks this year. There's all these different kinds of attacks which we can talk about. Let's just take a ransomware attack. So ransomware attack is a kind of cybersecurity attack that basically locks up a computer. So if you've ever watched like a James Bond movie, where in James Bond, basically the computers will lock up They'll say, you have to enter a password or a key to unlock your computer, but you have to pay us you know, $10 million or $50 million, whatever the amount is, in order to unlock those, those computers. That's effectively what a ransomware attack is. So it's a way of um, getting into a system, what's called encrypting files on that system. So encrypting means you take a Word document or a Google Doc that you have where you have normal text on it. Encryption would mean you would see it be reformatted as almost like a set of code so that all of a sudden it's unusable to the normal person who's trying to access that file. So it would basically encrypt your entire system, which means you can't actually use any of your files anymore. And your email addresses, any of anything. But there's there's a note that pops up. I actually have one on my computer right now because I, you know, we that's one of the things that we do is try and mimic these kinds of attacks. And that note will have a set of instructions. And then those instructions will say you need to pay us you know, $10 million, for example, to this account by this date in order for us to decrypt or to make your computers go back to normal. And so all attacks, no matter what they are, but ransomware is a good example, Charlie, start with something called initial access, okay? And initial access means what is the entry point that I can start to take over a system with? And generally, that has to do with a human being. So your phishing joke, which is a very good joke, by the way, is a very common form of initial access. So if I send an email or text message to 100,000 people, the chances that one of them will click on it is probably pretty high. And so very often those phishing attacks are very, very successful because human beings are taught to trust certain institutions. We don't check things super carefully. And so I click on a link, I enter my email and password. It seems like it's a real website, but it's not a real website. It's actually just a website that looks like a real website, And all of a sudden I've given you, in this case, say Charlie, the the attacker, access to my email and password, and then you can go and actually attack the rest of the system. So in some ways, there's this like myth that goes along with cybersecurity that's really complicated and really spooky and all these kinds. But in reality, it's just preying on the same thing as physical security, which is humans, you know, ability to trust one another and, you know, their openness to trying new things and, there's exploiting that through ways like like phishing attacks. Mm-hmm.
0: So you hear a lot about phishing. You hear a lot about malware. You hear about ransomware. So what exactly do there's so many different types of attacks. Can you can you tell us about some of them and what they actually do?
1: Sure. So there's in some ways um, all these words are being invented to start to kind of categorize what's going on. In some ways, all of this is malware. Malware is the thing that you put on a computer to do something else. Right, so once again, it, this goes back to the original question, which is what's the goal? So like, let's categorize, I guess, a couple of goals. So the goal of ransomware is to take money from an organization that you know has the money to pay you. And it's basically just blackmailing, right? So in, I don't know if the audience is familiar with what blackmailing is, but in, in the physical world, it's the idea of essentially holding somebody hostage, having some information over them in exchange for them paying you to not release that information and or kind of the inverse of that. The idea of ransomware is the same thing. Your systems are not going to work. It's going to cost you a lot of money. And once you pay us, then all of those things will go back to normal. They don't always go back to normal, but that's what they say. So that's like their goal is basically to make a lot of money. So you see a lot of criminal gangs doing that work. Um, North Korea has a a bunch of very famous now or infamous, infamous Hackers that basically do ransomware attacks, because think about it. You can have a small team of talented people, five, 10, 15 people, stealing millions of dollars. And it's scalable. You can do it every week, you can do it every month, you can do it, you know, as much as you, as much or as little as you want. And so there's like making money. That's one thing. The second we're just gonna give like two or three examples just to hopefully categorize these things. The second thing is stealing IP, intellectual property. So let's say that you know that one of your competitors say your country, has developed intellectual property that took them 10 years to develop, right? So the diagrams or the you know, engine modifications for whatever, a submarine, uh, instead of you going and actually discovering that yourselves like you used to have to, what we had was a version of this that were called spies right, physical spy We've all seen a spy movie. A spy would basically be planted in order to go and gain access into information, sometimes IP, sometimes other information, and bring it back to another source so they could copy and kind of move forward. So there are lots of cyber attacks that are supposed to steal what are called crown jewels. Those crown jewels are things like core intellectual property, uh, documents outlining five-year plans, where things are hidden, et cetera. So that's like, so you can steal money, you can steal information or you can cause devastation, right? So an example of that would be, uh, there are plenty of cyber attacks that actually affect the physical world. So we're both sitting in a room with lights that are turned on. We are connected to the internet and we're talking over Zoom. Um, a, an attack that's designed to take down physical or uh, electronic infrastructure does just that, it turns those things off almost like a light switch. So there are lots of examples of attacks that have literally turned the power off of an entire city or in some cases country for a day, you know, or a week. And so those are, you know, call it like the blend between digital and physical. And that's where I think a lot of this gets scary. Part of the challenge of cybersecurity too is because it doesn't affect most people and they can't actually see it. Like if if a bomb goes off in a neighborhood it's very easy for us as human beings to see that thing happening. We can go, oh my, oh my goodness, it's horrible. It get co- gets covered on the news. But if somebody's IP gets stolen, we don't report on those things because we can't actually touch and smell and feel those things unless you're the one being affected by it. So it's very difficult to transmit empathy for these attacks. And so I think you know, for our brains, we're not able to put them in the same... Category as a normal physical attack, and so they don't get as much attention because they don't get as much attention. There's not a lot of education on it, which is why podcasts like this are great because there's not a lot of education on it. People don't actually know what to look for, which causes all sorts of other issues too. Anyways, that's the long-winded answer of saying there's all sorts of different types of attacks, but there are, there is very specific goals in mind when people actually conduct these things.
0: So, how does Prelude counter them?
1: Sure. So. The way that the industry, so given everything I just said, given all of these kinds of attacks, the, qu- the right question to ask is, well, what do I do about it? If I'm an individual or if I'm a company or if I'm a government, like that all sounds pretty scary. Like, what am I supposed to do about that? And so far, what the industry has said is you need to install software on your computers and on your servers and on all the things that are connected to the internet that are supposed to basically automatically defend you. And so everybody, almost everybody's familiar with like antivirus, right? And so people in the 90s and 2000s, they bought products like Norton or McAfee or Avast or Windows Defender. Like, I don't know if you're sitting on a Mac or a PC, but if you're on a you know, PC at home, you have Windows Defender automatically installed, it looks like a little shield on your computer. Um, antivirus is basically, oh, somebody's trying to put a virus uh, into your system form of malware into your computer, it's going to theoretically automatically block that, right? So that was kind of the first iteration of what defensive security is. And the next version of that um, is called EDR, which is called endpoint detection response, which we don't have to get into, but it's basically a more advanced version of something that sits on your computer and blocks things from happening automatically. You don't worry about it. Charlie doesn't have to be a cybersecurity expert. All you have to do is install this thing, pay a little bit of money for it, and it keeps you safe. The challenge is, if you think about it, Charlie, um, from the attacker's perspective, so let's say you're, you want to get in and steal somebody's presentation on their you know, their next earnings report or something. Well, your job would be to understand what their defenses are, where they're missing defenses, and how to get around them. Literally, your only job. And There's a very famous saying in cybersecurity, which is pretty accurate, which is, defensive products and defensive companies have to be right 100% of the time in order to defend the company. But attackers only have to be right once. And then once they're right once, they get into a system. And once they get into the system, they can do all sorts of things. So what we do is we actually pretend to be or mimic the bad people. And so what offensive security is, uh, is testing your own systems by attacking them, which sounds crazy. It sounds like How is that, has that possibly a business? The scary thing, Charlie, is most companies, the first time that they get attacked is the first time that they know if their defensives work because otherwise, how would you know? Like, so you spend all this money, you install antivirus. and How do you know if it works? And it's actually a really challenging problem. I'm not trying to make it sound simple. It's actually a very challenging problem. And so what Prelude does is companies install our software just like they do with antivirus, except we attack the antivirus or the EDR system. Um, in very advanced ways that try and get at what a real attacker is going to act like. And then we tell the company, here's where you have gaps in your system. And by doing that, we think that we're making people a lot safer because we're able to say, here are the holes in your system. Here's what you're missing. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. And here's what you should do about it. And I think in the future, um, you know, if, if our plan goes well, Lots of companies will say, great, we also need to be attacking ourselves on a you know, very frequent basis in order to make sure that we're up to date and secure. So you know, just to go back to the beginning of this conversation, the two worlds of offensive security and defensive security work together to make people more secure in general. And so we you know, play and, and do a lot of work on the offensive security side.
0: So what would you say are the one of the two biggest problems in cybersecurity?
1: The I think the first big problem, which is a very difficult to solve problem, goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier, Charlie, which is, so most cybersecurity attacks that are successful actually target human beings. They don't target machines or systems. They target, you know, Charlie sitting in his room doing work, like a normal thing, and you get an email or you get a text message, or you get an audio file, or you get a PowerPoint. One of the most devastating attacks in history attacked a shipping company called Maersk. Um, and the way that that attack worked is they actually sent a PowerPoint file. That was a totally normal PowerPoint file. It got scanned by an antivirus scanner. It was all good. And they, and you know when you make a PowerPoint or make a Google slides thing and there's a transition slide. So you can like make a, you know, scan in from the left or fade in, or there can be like little pixels or like, basically want to make it pretty they embedded an attack in one of those transitions and so when the when the company opened up their slide and pressed next and it transitioned it rippled through the whole company and attacked them and so you can almost embed these and so is that the human being's fault that they opened up a normal powerpoint presentation not really and so one of the challenges is that um for a lot of low-level attacks that's a very sophisticated attack for a lot of low-level attacks Humans can actually do um, a better job of almost like personal hygiene, security hygiene. How do I, you know, stay aware of what kinds of attacks there are? How do I actually not click on links like that, etc.? And so we have like a, a hygiene problem, which is goes back to our point about like because this is so complicated because people don't explain it like they're explaining it to a ten year old because it's people don't really they're not aware of it. The chances that they're actually going to have good cyber hygiene is like very low right now, and so making that a lot better, I think, is, is a really important thing. What in um, the second go ahead, Charlie.
0: Yeah, what is a proper cyber hygiene?
1: So it changes because the world is changing so quickly. Um, but I'll give you a couple examples, right? So lots of people store their passwords to all of their computer that, you know, accounts on their computer. So they actually create a file that's called passwords.txt or Word or you know whatever it is. Not good. Um, you know, that, that if that means that a person can get into your computer, they can get your, all, all your passwords, they can get all your passwords, they can get all, of all your systems. Um things like multi-factor authentication, right? Or two-factor authentication. So for you know, for the audience, like when you log into Gmail and it texts you a code. So you have to put in your code that stops a lot of attackers because only you have access to that code because you have your phone number right now if they get their phone number it becomes a more challenging ordeal but there's kind of these basic things which is don't click on you know suspicious links enable two-factor or multi-factor authentication don't store your passwords like there's a whole laundry list of things like that charlie that are once again because the world's changing so quickly we don't actually know Whether what I'm giving you today will be relevant in a week. You know, there was a new attack on Friday. And so this is all changing in near real time. But there are kind of very basic things that we can all do to kind of keep our own computers safer.
0: So my final question for you today is where do you want to see the cybersecurity industry in 20 plus years?
1: So that's a, that's a great question for all sorts of reasons. The first is, I actually think the title of this podcast and the theme for this podcast is to me, the most important thing that security needs to get right. I'm not just saying that come on this podcast. We have in the industry, I say we collectively now because I work in the industry, a massive issue with simplifying things. And I do think that complexity and making things overly complicated in terms of how we build things, how we deploy things on computers, is what's challenging the industry on getting more options. We have this very uh, specific thesis in the company, which is we believe that every small company, every organization, like your school, for example, is now, whether they know it or not, connected to the U.S. military and connected to the globe in terms of the national security risk that it poses. And why is that? That sounds like it makes no sense. Because the same internet that your school is on, you know, the US military, large corporations, me, you are all connected to. And so the ability to kind of infiltrate your school's internet, which may or may not be secure, I have no idea. And to say, oh, turns out that Charlie's school works with the state of, you know, Oregon. So we're gonna use an attack on his school to get into the state of Oregon. It turns out the state of Oregon works with the Department of Energy. And so we're going to use that attack to get in the Department of Energy and all the way up the food chain. Unless you can actually defend or secure small organizations that don't have the ability to pay for expensive people in this space, we're all going to be kind of at risk. And so I think one of the things I'd love to see in the industry in the next 20 years is a focus on simplifying what we do to make it more accessible for small organizations. And the second thing that I'd love to see the industry do in the next 20 years is do away with the concept of defensive or offensive security. To me, it's ridiculous that we're not testing our own defenses on a continuous basis. I'm biased because I run a company doing this, but it's something I fundamentally believe, which is you would never buy other kinds of software without knowing if it works or not. And so we have to get away from this concept of having both of these things and just, we need better security overall. We need it to be simpler and we needed to be affordable and accessible for people. And so there tends to be in technology in general, as you've talked to a lot of wonderful guests, there's this curve that ends up existing of like complexity. And this is like, I think a relevant thing in life and, and in kind of business. And over time, as you get to know more about the complexity of what's going on, you understand things more, you're able to make it simpler. The design becomes simpler. The language you use becomes simpler. And to me, the maturity of the security industry is very early on in cycle right now. And it's gonna take maybe 10 or 20 years to make it simple enough to be used by everybody else. And it's only going to become relevant and useful if it can be used by everybody. So that's my hope is we're gonna get there. And my other hope is that we don't have something so devastating that it you know, cripples part of our infrastructure. And that we're able to kind of keep pace with a lot of the potential attacks that are happening from kind of a national scale, so that it keeps us all safe.
0: Spencer, thank you so much for being here. I enjoyed this episode so much. Thank you. Thank
1: you, Charlie. I really appreciate it.